Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. And I'm Mike Hall with the R Street Institute also. <laughs> yes. So today we are joined by my, my colleague, uh, Mike, who is going to talk about some interesting events that have been going on in Ohio over the past couple of years involving uh, the energy industry there, in particular uh, nuclear power and some other things. So uh, welcome, Mike. And before we get into all that, maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. You know that you work for R Street, the best place to work on the planet. Uh, but, you know, what What else uh, should our listeners know about you? Sure. So I've been in the energy industry for the better part of 25 years, uh, doing mostly dereg- work on deregulated uh, markets. I have worked for six different retail energy suppliers. I did some wholesale trading back for a little company called Enron back in the day. And I usually don't tell people that. I try to keep that a secret, but I felt it was good context for today's podcast. And I have also worked for the state of Ohio's consumer residential consumer advocate for energy issues, the Ohio Consumers Council. So uh, I have pretty uh, broad range of expertise in the uh, wholesale energy markets and both on working both regulated and deregulated. I was thinking about, you know, how to how to tee all this up because, you know, it's it's interesting. There's there's stuff that's going on now. Uh, and it really, it kind of dates back a couple of years, but I, you know, sometimes in the, in the movies, they'll start at a certain point and then they'll, they'll go back and tell the story. Um, you did have a situation last fall where, you know, you had the, uh, house of the speaker of the house in Ohio was raided by the police and he was indicted in a big bribery stand- scandal. Um, so, but the, the backstory of that, I guess, begins earlier with this, uh, piece of legislation called HB six. So maybe tell us a little bit about what, well, what is HB six and, and the controversy around that when it was originally passed? Sure. Now, actually, if, if I could, I could take it back even further to the origins of all of this, uh, given as, as you know, Ohio is a deregulated state, meaning that the generation portion of a customer's bill is they're able to shop for that and you and use alternative suppliers. And it actually this actually dates back to about 2014 when a few of the utilities, actually all four major utilities at some point or another were looking for subsidies for their mostly coal generation and also the two nuclear plants. They were looking for subsidies because uh, natural gas had brought wholesale electric prices down. And the, the most interesting thing about where this all started, it's not that these, at the time, these plants weren't, it's not that they weren't making money. It's just they weren't making enough of what the utilities expect a, you know, from their regulated rate of return. So it was, it, it all started off because they, they were greedy, um, as, as with most of these stories that end up with a bribery scandal begin. Um, so the utility, the Ohio Utility Commission actually approved these subsidies uh, the Ohio Consumers Council, who I was working for at the time, and a few other interveners took that to FERC. And FERC said, FERC actually said, 
Well, if you do end up engaging in these, what we'll call, they call them PPAs at the time, they were just purchase power agreements uh, between the utility and customers. FERC had told the utilities, if you're going to do this, engage in these PPAs, then we need to approve the PPAs before, otherwise you have a chance of losing your uh, market-based rate authority, which is the ability to sell the output from their generation at, at market rates and in the wholesale markets. So um, when FERC overturned it, all the utilities decided, okay, the gig's up on going through the utility commission on this. Let's do an end around on the utility commission and go right to the legislature. So in 2019, or I'm sorry, it was actually 2017, they tried to push through uh, some separate legislation and getting um, on these uh, subsidies for uh, looking for both coal. Uh, the coal had reduced down to just a few plants that were joint owned by the utilities. And then they also, the two nuclear plants, there were two separate bills uh, that, that never went anywhere. Um, didn't get any traction. I wasn't even voted out of the uh, legislative committees where they were introduced. Uh, so then fast forward, uh, Larry Householder is elected speaker. And then these bills go through. They started off by saying they needed uh, they started, they opened a special committee called, uh, I think it was Generation Diversity was was how it began and passed out of that. It was hundreds and hundreds of hours of testimony. They, they, made, they, they made it appear as though they were doing their due diligence throughout this whole process. But it was uh, 2019 and it started off in March. Then by mid-January or mid-July, I'm sorry, it was mid-July of 2019, it was signed into law by the governor, um, which it ended up uh, morphing into removing all of the uh, energy efficiency standards, all of the renewable energy standards, and subsidies of uh, up to $180 million a year for the uh, for both solar plants, for a few selected solar plants, and the two nuclear plants that are in the state of Ohio. And then also continuing subsidies for these, what we call OVEC plants, which were those joint owned coal plants um, and a few other things here and there. But that was that was the gist of it was that in 2019, it was passed into law. Um, then go to the, su the summer of 2020. And that's when the Speaker of the House, his, his home was raided and he was he got the old perp walk up to the. Uh, federal courthouse in Columbus, Ohio. So that was, uh, that was the sort of the, how, how, how we got to this, how we got to the, uh, up, up to this point so far. Yeah. And, uh, what, just to, to fill out the, the nature of the, the allegations. Sure. So that the allegations, I, I don't even know were, if you call them. Yeah, they, they were. So it was, it was an interesting, it, the, the sad part about all this is um, when I first read about this, I didn't know that it was necessary. What they were doing was necessarily illegal. Um, so First Energy set up a 503 or 5013C nonprofit uh, called Generation Now. And they filled that with about 60, I think it was $61 million that ended up turning into a slush fund for four separate lobbyists that were all that have all been indicted and two that have pled guilty so far. 
and also the Speaker of the House, their householder. And they sort of turned this into um, it, it originally was used to. So after the governor signed it into law, there was a repeal process. So in Ohio, if you get a certain amount of uh, signatures, you're able it can then be taken to a vote, uh, just a, a general election vote where the people of Ohio then get to determine if this is a um, if this is a law that they want on their books. So during the repeal process, a lot of money was taken from these lobbyists were using it to essentially put together a smear campaign. And this smear campaign was a little bit of uh, everything uh, from putting up misinformation saying that the Chinese are trying to take over the power grid because apparently some of the people that had built natural gas plants in the state of Ohio had got lending from Chinese banks. So the Chinese were taking over the power grid. and they were also having a sort of a separate signature gathering, a fake signature gathering where they were um, people thought they were they were it was very confusing. People thought they were signing up to repeal House Bill six, but in fact they were signing these uh, these with the with these other signature gatherers that had nothing to do with it. They were actually just signing it and um, there was there was no purpose to those to the signatures that they were gathering. But it was a big confusion trying to confuse people in an effort to stop the repeal efforts. And that ended up working. They didn't, uh, they were also, oh, another item, some of that $61 million was going to uh, basically pay people that were gathering signatures to repeal House Bill 6. They were paying them, getting them plane tickets home and giving them a couple thousand dollars to stop collecting signatures. Uh, so then the the what what really... I think what really got Householder in trouble is he decided to take some of that money. And this is where it does get where I obviously know that this is illegal, but everything leading up to this point, I, I thought was seemed shifty, but not completely illegal. And Larry Householder decided to take some of that money and uh, pay some back taxes on a house he had down in Florida, do some repairs to that house. I believe, I think it was also paid off some, pay off some other debts that he had along the way. So he took some of that uh, 61, billion dollar what ended up being sort of a slush fund for these five people and uh personally gaining from that so that's that was the that that might be the issue that got uh the straw that broke the camel's back as it were okay and then uh just for some added context at the same time that all this was going on in ohio uh there was a similar federal investigation and potential prosecution involving the Illinois Speaker of the House uh, and uh, a different a different uh, energy company with a different set of nuclear plants. Uh, maybe you could explain a little bit about what's going on there. Sure, that was uh, excellent, and it was it was interesting back in the 2017 to 2019 timeframe. Uh, Exelon and First Energy were on a where they'd go out and do dog and pony shows everywhere, saying touting the need for nuclear plants and that they, even though they're in competitive markets, they need to be subsidized. So uh, I think they were, you saw a lot of similar, sub, similar things that uh, the, those two utilities were doing in an effort to uh, receive subsidies for their uh, nuclear plants. And I, the data, I believe it was 17 or 18, um, Illinois had passed a similar type of law subsidizing their nuclear plants. And then right about the same time, I think uh, very close to each other, the 
the interesting thing in Illinois was that it was Exelon that pled guilty to bribery charges. It wasn't an individual, but there was, and there was always this sort of, uh, over this cloud hanging over the speaker in Illinois as to whether he was he going to was he going to go next what was going to happen with him and although he's I believe he just resigned not only as speaker but also from his seat in the house which I think he's held for something along the line of 45 years so that uh so yet yeah, he's uh he has not had any as far as I as I know he has not had any charges brought against him but from what I hear, it's a matter of time before, before that will will that that will happen. You know, you have this this bill; it's passed, and then later, it's found out that uh, you know the passage of it involved a fair amount of uh, bribery and other untoward stuff. So, what what what's going on in Ohio now? With the obviously it was already uh, a repeal effort of the sort that got it on the try to get on the ballot and other things. So what, what, what's happening with that? What's happened with that since the, uh, you know, the, the bribery thing was revealed. Sure. So last summer, it was a matter of weeks after the speaker of the house was, was indicted. They, uh, flurry of bills. I think at one point there were, six or seven bills maybe of different sorts repealing different things within the within house bill six some look looking for a total repeal others just picking and choosing uh there were a few um you know it's with a bill that size you get some some things that actually are good there was a i I guess the only thing that i saw that was good was there was a discount of there was county fairs received discounted rates so some people were saying we don't want to we don't want to necessarily get rid of the the county fair rate, and that was a reasoning for not pushing forward the uh, um, pushing forward the the full repeal Critical. of the bill. Critical. So, yes, exactly. Um, so they uh, so it's it ended up that uh, nothing happened, um, and it was interesting. Obviously, twenty twenty was an election year. All all members of the House were up for reelection, and half of the Senate was up for reelection. And I think my my thought at the time was. They're going to wait and see if if anyone loses if anyone ends up losing their job and you know losing, um, you know not not getting reelected as a result of this then uh, maybe they'll try to jump on it faster but uh, no one ended up losing their jobs in fact Larry Householder was reelected uh, which is that's that's a little bit of a different story that was a bit of a uh, something to because due to the how the house the rules in the house are set up but um, he was he was reelected um, and. They uh, so I think no nothing ended up happening. There were a couple more bills that popped up during the Lane Duck session, and uh, end of the year comes, end of the legislative year, all bills die. So nothing, uh, nothing, nothing occurred in uh, 2020 as a result of the scandal. Uh, But then the interesting thing that happened is suddenly early earlier this year, earlier 2021. The Energy Harbor came out and realized because of the minimum offer pricing rules that are in PJM, uh, they they realized they didn't want they might not want these nuclear subsidies, but it's because it could hurt some of their revenue streams in the capacity markets in PJM. So, gosh darn it, if Energy Harbor wants something, take a step back. The first the nuclear plants uh, during 2019 were going through bankruptcy. 
they emerged from from bankruptcy not as First Energy, but as Energy Harbor. So it's same owner of the owner of the nuclear plant, uh, no longer owned by First Energy, owned by basically the the people that held the debt of those nuclear plants are the are the new owners, and it's more or less you could say it's a it's a hedge fund that that's owning and running those plants right now. But if the owners of the plants want a uh, no longer want the subsidies, well, gosh darn it, we need to get this bill moving then. So at that point, uh, the same issue popped up and a flurry of bills came in to repeal all or parts of House Bill 6. And right now what we have, the House and the Senate have both passed separate bills, but the, the gist of the bills is that the nuclear subsidy goes away uh, and the solar subsidy stays. Uh, there were some other there were other some other provisions that also stuck around uh, or that were also removed. Um, there was a decoupling provision that the first energy utility had that's been removed, and a significantly or an earnings test that has to be done at the for the utilities in Ohio. There was a little uh, chicanery, you could say, that uh, first energy had placed in a bill that uh, was also overturned. So we're, we're coming up to it. Um, obviously that these two separate bills have to go to the conference committee. And once the conference committee decides or sort of merges these two bills together, it'll go to the governor's desk and the governor has already stated that he will sign this legislation. So you think that, uh, there's a good chance that there will be some form of repeal and just worked out or what, what do you think? Oh yeah. Yeah. I could, I would, I would guarantee that, uh, at a bare minimum, the nuclear subsidies will be repealed. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, I think we laid out the situation of why we're here or whatever. Let's talk a little bit about the background. You know, why, why does this stuff happen? You know, is there something like special, I mean, it is striking that you have these two incidents, you know, in neighboring states, both about the same time, both involving nuclear plants. But I mean, it, you know, is this an issue of, you know, something to do with nuclear power or like, what do you, what do you think is behind all this? Sure. Um, there's, there's a few things. And, um, you know, the first thing that, that always pops in my mind when, when people ask, why did this happen? Uh, it, part of it is, as Ohio and Illinois are both in similar situations in how they deregulated, meaning they went ahead and opened up their markets for retail customers to go out and choose who their generation supplier is. And at the same breath, they also, um, the utilities were no longer responsible for supplying customers with generation. So people that didn't choose a supplier, uh, the utilities basically auctioned off their load and, and wholesale suppliers came in and provided the megawatts for those customers. So the utilities were sitting there with these assets, these generators that this, these generate, you know, these generating units. And for a while they were making a decent amount of money off them. They were making actually very good money off them. Um, and then as the natural gas prices declined, a huge increase in natural gas um, generation was being built and brought online. You're looking at uh, wholesale power prices taking a big dive. And as they're going down, suddenly they realize 
we're not making as much money as, as we want to with these assets. A utility is expecting to earn up in the 10 to 12% return on this on these assets, and they're not earning any anything close to that. Um, they're still making money, but just not enough for for what their what their investors expect from from them. And so, the logical thing that uh, utilities do because they're they're regulated, and as a regulated industry, if you need if you if you need more money, the first thing you need to do is go to the regulator. And in this case, or at least in Ohio, the regulator went ahead and said uh, allowed it. Then. FERC came in and said it's no longer allowed, and so they then, if the regulator doesn't give you what you want, let's go change the law because in an industry where you're, um, where you're, how how much you make money or how how much money you make is determined by law. Let's let's go change the law so that we can find a way to get our make basically make the make the returns we need to make. This is a much broader question, but you know. Joe, Ty, and I both are living here in, in Texas, and uh, you know, I guess it was about one month ago that we had our power grid go down. And one of the, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of people, a lot of finger pointing about why it happened, and some people pointing to the fact that we have our, you know, electricity grid is a, a you know, is a market uh, as opposed to just being a public utility in a traditional sense. Is there something? That's sort of a fatal flaw to having a a, a market break, market based utility where you have the you, where there's opening up to market failures like we had in Texas recently and like this bribery scandal. You know, is is the market design the problem in both situations? Is this a coincidence? What are your thoughts on that? I see these two, these two issues are very very different. Um, it's it's interesting that you know you would not have seen a utility going to the legislature for uh, subsidies in a Texas type market because all of the generation is utilities aren't allowed to own generation there. So you know that's it's interesting if it if it were switched and Ohio was a open market as though as Texas is, then we wouldn't have had this. Um, you know, we wouldn't have had a I don't know. Some, I guess greed, greed, greed has no bounds, but I, I can't foresee a situation where they would have needed subsidies for nuclear plants or, the, or they would have would not have been seeking or they would have been seeking uh, subsidies for nuclear plants. Now, with the and, you know, looking at the at the Texas market as to was it competition that caused the that caused the, you know, the, the blackouts and the shortages? It's not. I would. It's not necessarily just that. It's not easy just to say yes because they're deregulated markets. That's the reason they failed because there are a number of deregulated markets. I mean, PJM has a large number of um, a large number of uh, states that are that are competitive, like Ohio. Um, not not to the same level as Texas. I, there's a, there are other issues with with Texas and and their market. Um, but I would say competition was not the reason for. Um, for the, for the failures, just because looking at other markets that are competitive, um, that have competition, uh, New York for one of them, that they are, um, they, they, they haven't had situations such as Texas. I think it's just, I think it's more of a Texas specific Texas system that, uh, that was the cause of the, of the failures in, in, in the state. 
Yeah, it's uh, just, you know, speaking for myself, it's it's hard to identify any uh, aspect of competition that would have fed into or made worse uh, the situation that we had here, um, you know, simply because you had uh, such a, well, first, it, you did have blackouts, uh, rolling blackouts in the neighboring uh uh, vertically integrated markets and SPP and then up north of us uh, as well in, in, in some of my so. Um, but just beyond that, you know, the, uh, the problem, the basic problem that you had with the Texas market was outages, right? You had a large number of outages and doesn't really matter what your type of system is. If if the power plants don't operate because it's in the cold, you're going to have, and you have a, a huge amount of demand, then you're going to have uh, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, exactly. And that that almost in uh, 2014, the polar vortex that hit the Midwest, uh, PJM was within. I think they were within just a couple, yeah, maybe around a thousand megawatts before they were going to have to start doing rolling blackouts. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, sometimes you just, there are failures in, in the system. PJM as a result of that went ahead and put together what they call capacity performance, which significantly increased the penalties for generators that didn't step up when, when called upon during emergency situations. So that's, that's a possibility for what's going to, I think you'll see some, probably some new rules coming out in the, in ERCOT that will, um, that yeah, as a result of this. Yeah, you probably will. Although you know the the way that the ERCOT system is set up, there's kind of a natural penalty built in. So I mean, you know, some of these companies lost billions of dollars because they were not able to uh, perform, and uh, you know they had to go buy power for people on the spot market at eleven thousand dollars a megawatt hour. You know that's that gets that's a pretty big penalty. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's that's not in the, that's not in the uh, generator's yeah. budget. Yeah. The, the eleven thousand dollar purchase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did I say eleven? I mean not, at nine, nine, nine. Yeah, nine. I thought I thought it was nine. I, I you did you said eleven. I was. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I followed the Texas experts lead there. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The the cap is is nine. Although I guess with there are other things that can they can make it above nine. But but uh, yeah, so I should have said nine. Just to kind of uh, wrap up. You know, one thing that we like to ask a lot of guests is for their favorite uh, movie or television show or some sort of cultural product related to the uh, conversation at hand. So do you have, I mean, do you have a favorite energy movie or electricity movie or, you know, something like that? Oh sure, there's so many great electric movies out there right now. Yes, that, that, yeah. that can, and and you know that's that's just riveting TV. Also, there's, um, so I, I uh, going back to as I said, I, I was the uh, I, I worked for Enron for a bit, and then after I left Enron, I went to actually I left Enron in 1998, and then went to um, work for AEP on their wholesale trading floor, and the smartest guys in the room. Um, although I didn't work with them at Enron, it was, I, I found it fascinating just at, because I had gone through it. I was working for AP and I was trading 
and obviously, obviously trading quite a bit with Enron back in the day. And people that I had uh, regularly, you know, counterparts at Enron that I had worked with, listening to them, the, the tapes and it walking through exactly um, how that happened and knowing the arrogance of the high level executives at Enron when I worked there. It's, it's really, if, if, if you're a bit of, if you want to get a good idea around what happened um, at Enron and why it fell, I guess it's not just, it's not, that's just not electricity. It's also, I guess the whole financial, the, the shell games they were playing too. It breaks that down really well. So I guess there is one out there. I, when you, when you first, uh, when you first started to say movie or TV show about the, about the electricity markets and then, uh, nope, that there's, there is one out there. I, I guess I found the one. <laughs> All right. So our guest today is Mike Howe. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much and have a great time. Have a great rest of your day, guys.